0: Mate, this is going to be awesome. It's nice a to come down this Hit him, hit him. It's more than just a hobby, it's who we are. Hmm. Cracker. That's why we hunt. Welcome to the Educated Hunter podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Ultimate OE. Ultimate OE provides safe, unique hunting-based experiences for passionate hunters and outdoorsmen. From hunting stone sheep in the mountains of British Columbia, rutting moose on the gravel bars of the Yukon to chasing roaring red stags in the Highland of Scotland, Ultimate OE's paid overseas experiences are designed for hunters by hunters to maximize enjoyment, learning and experience. For more information, It can be found at ultimateoe.co.nz or flick us an email, give us a call. We're always happy to talk through what kind of hunting adventure would be best for you.
1: Today I'm having a chat with David Jacobs. David is a fourth generation taxidermist. Uh, He's been doing my taxidermy work for 10 plus years, I would assume now, maybe even longer. And we basically just cover the topics around trophy and what trophy means to different hunters and why it's important to I guess appreciate those animals in that form pride he takes in his work is is really high so it's it's a good way I guess to hear it descripted from somebody that didn't actually harvest the animal and why it still matters to him to to share that animal at a really high standard and we touch on a couple of other topics around the tarcal and and foreign hunters but they were sort of snippets that derived from trophy hunting in some form. So, yeah, like I say, the, the conversation is really good, uh, really honest, and uh, I really enjoyed it. So, I hope you do too. We'll be fine. So, I'm sitting here on the couch with David Jacobs, and David is, well, he's my taxidermist for a start. So, that's that's probably where our friendship or relationship started. And he runs. studio here in Queenstown now but I know his background is Christchurch as well Um, and we're just here to have a chat really I just wanted to get a I wanted to have a conversation with David because something that interests me a lot and I think there's an opportunity for Kiwis to learn a bit from and grow on is our appreciation for trophy and what that means for people and I, I understand it's a massive topic and there's everyone's well entitled to their own version of trophy like it's not what's right or wrong, but what I would like to say, and we we just started talking about this, so I thought I'd better jam the podcaster on because <laughs> we couldn't miss it. But for me, when I look at my animals on the wall, it it is a period of time. It's not one particular hunt or it's not it's it's not even really how successful that hunt was. It was a particular period of time that reflected them the amount hunting meant to me at the time. If that makes sense. So so I have like say, I'm a mountain goat. Um and it's a good mountain goat. The hunt was awesome and you know, like that memory comes back to me quickly, but it also probably signifies more my whole period of working in Canada. So yeah. everybody I worked with, the clients I had, everything like that. So and that's what I see hmm. when I look at it. And I think I think that's why I think that's why there's a real importance in, in trophies. Not only the respect to the animal, but The the flood of memory that it brings to you,
2: yeah, yeah. I think taxidermy the the motivation for it is personal to everybody. Um, but the what you get from that reflective, like you refer to it as a postcard of that post um, period of time, is um, is a, a nice way of framing it because um, every every mount is not just about that mount, it represents everything that led up, up to it and then everything that's come come after that point, you know. I was talking about a, a, a ten pound brown trout, that might be a backcountry fish of a lifetime, that particular mount, but it represents a lifetime of fishing. Mm. So when when a guy is eighty years old and he's sitting in in his rocking chair and he's looking at that fish, he's not just thinking about that time when he caught that fish, but he's that whole that whole lifetime of memories and one thing that i've started to do is actually i've got a lot of european mounts by virtue of the fact that i if i shoot a quality animal i end up taking the hide and <laughs> <laughs> for other, for repurposing it for a, for a client that needs one so i end up with a lot of european mounts but what i've done on each of those european uh, scale mounts of tar and chamois and whatever i've not only noted the time and place but probably in the future what I do know is and what will be of more importance is who I was with because mm-hmm. so when I look back I go oh, yeah that's the trip I went on with Clark Walker you know or oh, yeah. that's that's when I was at uni you know it's like you know with um, Grant Dodson you know whatever you know and so that's and then F- it, it floods way more memory yeah yeah so
1: yeah well know we just um we just had Matthew's dad down for our raw trip and one thing that he said to us just in conversation because he's got a a shed full of six and eight pointers from the North Island, but what he's actually done is put a numbered sheep tag around them all, and he's got a wee notebook. And mm. number one was this hunt with this person. So, yeah. and the the concept, or his thinking behind that was, you know, touch wood. Or like, when he eventually passes, yeah, everybody in their family will n- will be able to access what that was and what that meant to him. Versus a whole shed of you know animal heads. You know, and I thought that was. Yeah. Really, quite a nice way of <laughs> sharing that.
2: Yeah, I recently did a um, a shamois sh- and a bunch of uh targo red stags uh, um, that were from a deceased state. State for the uh, a guy who now lives. The son lives in Australia, and he came over and um, to clear out the garage after his old man had passed away. And there was all these old heads with iconic locations on them. You know, um, yeah, you know, the Hunter Valley and and uh the wilkin and um the young and stuff like that and and, and a beautiful 40 inch type you know red stags and <laughs> yeah. stuff like that there was also um a, a beautiful chamois buck in there that had never had any skin around it it was just just a, a you know a set of horns in the Fleet bottom skull. of a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah bottom of a cupboard somewhere and i re i found it i got a head skin for that and i mounted it and now it's in the guy's office in, in australia so that for him it's uh that's the best chamois that his father um ever shot but it's also obviously tied up with that personal Mm. memory of his of his father which is nice
1: yeah no that's really awesome so we'll uh, we'll get more into that because i've got a few questions around that sort of stuff so where did where did in terms of just hunting because you Mm. know i'm aware that you're a hunter which is also another part of the reason we're having a conversation where did hunting begin for you
2: probably like most people an ear rifle (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know following dad around or or Uh, no look dad wasn't really much of a hunter dad only ever had one uh, big game animal that he ever mounted for himself for example he came from a museum background okay I guess growing up around a taxidermy studio and meeting hunters you just you know you just
1: yeah wealth of knowledge yeah
2: Yeah. (laughs) you had that on your side and we can touch on a bit on that later too but um what it is, is just it sparked an interest in me and I read everything. I read all the Holden books and I read all the Rod and Rifles and all that sort of Mm -hmm. stuff, you know, at a a young age. And then, you know, did did my apprenticeship with, you know, small game, you know, Rabbits and, and an older brother. I mean, I was like, My brother grew up in that generation when there were no deer, no tar, you know, a few shammy. And then I was just that little bit behind where things started to get a little bit better as I sort of got into my big game hunting career. Um, Yeah, so always been, it's been my number one recreational passion, I guess, yeah.
1: And then, so that, is it the interest of hunting that, I guess, found you, or allowed you to find yourself within taxidermy? Or was taxidermy always a direction from the they run like, parallel. Like family history, yeah. They've run
2: parallel. So, you know, I've always been involved with the family business from a young age, but also um, just just seeing these animals and wanting to get out there in the wild and, and experience some of the, of what those people that were bringing these heads were, uh, and were doing. And, you know, being a tramper and out, we always went on holidays to cool places like national parks and things like that through my dad's work and, and um, just being exposed to that, you know, mm. being in the outdoors, yeah.
1: Yeah, we're lucky, we're lucky as New Zealanders to have that as an, yeah. As an option. Yeah. You know, it's not everybody's yeah. option, but it's definitely an option. And then so, based on the little bits I know, you eventually ended up with some, you know, I guess, entry-level guiding or, or work overseas?
2: Uh, you, well, I get a lot of opportunities when I was younger, um, um, some of which I didn't take up and the ones you regret, yep. I suppose. You now. always regret what you um, don't do. When I had a... F- uh, family business and dad was the manager and i was an employee it allowed me to get away from the business uh, and, and and have it was always something to look forward to so you come through winter and then you know the opportunity to travel august september uh, initially it was uh, places like new caledonia where it was nice and warm and, and <laughs> <laughs> which is cool but also then i got opportunity to guide in alaska which was fantastic and um, also worked in um, santa rosa island off the coast of california and on elk and uh, mule deer, there too. Mm. So, to be able to travel with your work is pretty cool. Um, obviously, there's a, a conflict of interest if I was guiding in New Zealand because a lot of my work comes from hunting guides, but allowed me to express that interest. That I had and and in, in guiding and also have at the same time. Anybody often be a job. The first thing I say, I don't go anywhere I can't hunt myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I know, I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah. So that was part of it, and yeah. um, you know, I, I would never probably uh, get to shoot a you know a ten foot Alaskan brown bear, but to be in on that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's the next best thing, I guess.
1: Well, it, it, 100% is. Like I have said in the past and, and always say that pulling the trigger, you know, like it's kind of the, arguably, and I know there'll be yeah. some people cross their, cross their <laughs> eyes at me right now, but that's the easy part. Yeah. Not like, even the now, well, when it comes to Moose, that. it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, like I, I think I think it's very validated and, yeah. and all the people that I put through the Ultimate OE program, I, I advocate for them like in the right, scenario and then base the clients are right with it to get a photo with that animal mm. like because even again if it's purely about the memory yeah like it's really important that you capture that yeah because at some point just through life we end up with that many memories yes they just all sort of start falling in line and i think it's important to
2: but opportunities you know, go too i mean like yeah. you, you know you can't you can do you can't do grizzly bits in, yep, in BC in BC anymore yep. you know so that opportunity is gone Yeah. Yeah. Yep. for example yeah um,
1: and they'll you know it's quite a big topic yeah. but I think they'll continue to go as well yeah. <laughs> like you know we're only yep. sort of at the top of it but um, I, th- I think from a I guess a client point of view and this isn't an, a sales pitch that was probably part of why in particular my international staff I was drawn to bring it to here yeah. to you was having seen the difference in international animals, even though they're yeah. the same. Yeah. You know, like even people come to my house and they look at my tail buck and they go, wow, that's, like the antlers aren't necessarily yeah. that much bigger, but neck wise and body wise, you're like, that's a big deer. Yeah. Like, well, it is a big deer. It's a Saskatchewan tail. Yeah. They're a different but, breed, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they're a different breed, but what that meant for me was I wanted the taxidermist that looked at it, well, not even looked at it because it, Turned up in a rolled up bag, but <laughs> but knew okay, well, look, it's not going to fit on my standard form. No. I'm going to need to shop for a North American white tail form and yeah. and that they're the little bits that matter to me and yeah that, well, that was you, a you know, part I've
2: of it. been around a lot of taxidermy shops all around the world, and you pick up a lot of uh, really useful and helpful advice through doing that and um I guess I can bring that to you know uh, African work or North American work and um you know even asian and other work like that and then that's one part of it and the other part is having um walked that walk i understand especially as a, a lame lay hunter not a wealthy person who's yep. um you know i understand what it took mm-hmm. and personal sacrifice you know to, to get that trophy
1: yeah i actually had this randomly a conversation last night with two guys and they were talking about my mounts and they're like, oh, geez, you must have a lot of money tied up in taxidermy. And they, when I said it to them, they just a bit fell over. Yeah. And, I, and they said, really? And I was like, well, no, it's not. that's not what I've paid my taxidermist. But I said, if you look at my mountain goat right now, you know, like there's a set amount in taxidermy, but there's a $15,000 US hunt tag behind it if I mm-hmm. wanted to go right now and just mm-hmm. get one. And then I've got to get myself over there and I've got to take the time off work. And I said, so it's not, it's pretty close to a $20,000 animal mm-hmm. without. You know, no sugar on that. Not you know, and then I said, "By well, then, you add on all my other ones." Hmm. I was like, it, "It quickly adds up." Like, and you know, and they're like, oh, you, yeah." Oh, well, we won't touch it now. You know, we won't put our dirty <laughs> fingers on it. I'm like, yeah, well, thank you. That'd be good. But and, that,
2: uh, and that, you and I, are, are, are guilty of living the millionaire lifestyle on a poor man's budget, hundred <laughs> <100%. laughs> percent. But yeah. uh, you know, what is interesting is in New Zealand is uh, we are probably the only country in the world where people from outside can come and do that uh, and i think it's it's not it's not so much wrong but it it's causing problems um,
1: i think it's wrong like uh, i we we just had a conversation about this the other day like i i this one thing for me that's 100% wrong is non new zealand outfitters guide in here i think mm-hmm. that's a big yes. that's yeah straight up nothing right about that um, and then I think, and it's, it's so hard. Like we're like literally, it's I've put it on a podcast before. Like the administration that would be involved in trying to police international hunters coming here and so forth. Like I, that's really hard, but it is but, wrong. But it, it's <laughs>
2: having tragic results. We've lost hmm. non-guided client just last week. Yep, self-guided. You know, yep. and 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 that's. Two in the same valley in two years, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, we—how long does that need to go on for? But there's there's many levels why it shouldn't be happening. Um, but you know, pers- hunter safety should be first of mind. You know, I used used to be able to turn turn up at a a west coast you know helipad when and guys would be getting out of the chopper with literally rubbish bags full of nine to ten inch tar Mm. heads okay and you know why did they shoot them because they could what was the cost to them nothing nothing what do they have invested in the future of those animals that herd? nothing yeah and so it diminishes the quality of the herd also diminishes the value of the animal and 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 the value of the experience and um, it benefits no one it doesn't you know uh, even as a taxidermist i don't get any benefit from that um, no, though. Yeah, um, exactly. <coughs> you know, the economy in general doesn't benefit from it. The herd doesn't benefit from it. There's all sorts of reasons why. No, we,
1: well, most yeah. most of those guys, when they fit into that demographic, demographic of, I guess, self-guided mm-hmm. hunts, you know, everything's on a shoestring. Yeah. You know, like they they come in. They,
2: international trophy hunting isn't. Oh, it's not. And it's it a luxury. It doesn't fit
1: there anywhere else. It doesn't. Like, doesn't fit. Like, I
2: mean, you can't. It, 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 what I say. I say to these guys like it's an expensive pastime. And just because your first time you tip your put your toe in the water it happens to be New Zealand. Yeah, it's a big topic.
1: Yeah. One that I've got some views on, and I'm sure you do too. But I don't. I don't. I don't know. Have you ever thought much. about maybe
2: doing a similar format to this, but maybe have like a panel? It would be quite interesting to get different people different industry and, and touch on a couple of those things just get bounce that around the table yeah it
1: would be interesting Yeah, really interesting I tried to do a group podcast with a few boys and they'll know mm. who I'm talking about <laughs> last year at the Shot Expo there, but there was a couple of too many beers in the room and, <laughs> <laughs> and there was a lot of bullshit getting smoked so that, that podcast <laughs> never made it yeah. but um, but so back to back to taxidermy yep. over Chris how long have you been doing this for now
2: uh, well I'm fourth generation but I've been doing it I made up my first piece when I was probably 13 but Professionally, I've been doing it since I left university. So, oh, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> a, couple <laughs> of, a couple of breakfasts anyway. Yeah.
1: So what's sort of changed? What's changed? What have you seen change within taxidermy?
2: Uh, there have been um, changes in the presentation of, of things like um, your typical shoulder mount um, because I guess just as um, U.S. firearm manufacturers come out with a new caliber every year, mm-hmm people who shoot a whitetail every season have got 20 on the wall and they want a, something new. Variation. To, in variation to present that. So that's sort of uh, market-led from from the United States. And so we're talk, I'm talking here like pedestal mounts and wall busts and things like that. So that's, that's a development, I guess. But not a lot has really changed. You know, uh, there's ebbs and flows with economic situations. You might, you know, for example... Uh, if there's a downturn in the economy people might choose to get a European mount as opposed to a shoulder mount and that sort of thing. But does that sorry, the, skipping across does mm-hmm. that I guess there's a tax as
1: you've got to sit there quite biased in the fact that it's their decision. But mm-hmm. like is it from the when you think of it as a guide or whatever like when I walked up on animals and they're like, oh, I just want a European mm. or I just want a shoulder on a stone sheep. I'm like, yeah. no, 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 you can't do that. No, no, no. Like, you know, and, yeah. and you, I guess I'm trying to impose my thoughts on it. To be yes. fair, it's not, yeah. it's actually not mine. But I just, I just think, oh man, like I'm, I'm glad they do something. Yes, but I always sort of think you should really just stretch yourself to do the most. And that, yeah. that's my point of view. Like I'd rather wait a year to go full body
2: than oh, just on a shoulder. I'll have guys that are like. Get I think the other way they'll go. Well, I don't have room for a shoulder mount, but I'll, one day I'll have the house to build around it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I get that too. I guess. Um, so, yeah, it, that is a. You don't know people's personal financial situations or what their motivations mm. are. Some people just don't like to have a lot of mounts, and they and their and their tradition might be going back to the the European, for example. That there's there's reasons for everything, but you do you notice trends i guess yeah. um in regard to you know where the economic situation is um what was the question <laughs> um just of what sort of changes you've seen over the yeah duration. so yeah. I, look not all my you, have, the have nature funders? of my business has changed so when in, when I was in Christchurch, I had up to three tax members working on, underneath me, mm-hmm. so I was in a managerial role I ran a full tannery, we had a creating department we had a rock department and and um you know tw- up to seasonally up to 12 staff because we're breaking down animals to basically hides and antlers when and during the busy season 60 animals a day coming through Jesus. the door you know that sort of thing and <laughs> the height of the season but I've gone back to a model which is basically like most extremists and that's the sole operator maybe with an mm-hmm. assistant and um which is a universal model pretty much throughout the world there are lots of big taxidermy shops and I had probably the biggest in the in the southern South Pacific for a while there but uh, that um, backyard taxidermist or home run taxidermist type of situation is, is probably the most common model mm-hmm. the difference with me of course is I'm also the taxidermy supply house um, I can still do the tanning even though I outsource it you know I have all those skills or background mm-hmm. skills already I can do all the aspects to it but i choose choose which to, work yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, My the nature of my business has changed, the nature of the industry has changed a little bit, uh, we saw uh, when we had the global economic crisis for example there's two types of people who um, didn't stop hunting, the very rich and the mad keen passionate passion yeah, hunter yeah. in the middle there where W- which is where those businesses that rely on the um, package-type hunts, you know, so whether it's a guiding business or the taxiing businesses that um, that work with those businesses, um, where it's, they offer, say, a chamois Red stack fellow package yeah. or whatever, mm-hmm. that is people who are spending their disposable income who have a choice to go to Argentina or South Africa or New Zealand and they... Probably didn't choose New Zealand because we're probably on a more expensive end. And um, so that's where that sort of got squeezed out, which was interesting. But we still had the rich people coming. Mm-hmm, <laughs> still yeah, had so the top end. And, and, then, the, yeah. and then the people who were going to hunt no matter what. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
1: There's always going to be some of them. Yeah. Well, hopefully. Yeah. Well, like, there must have been, because even like in my, you know, the comparative of how many animals I yeah. see versus what you see is is crazy. But like even in my time, as a hunter, so we're only talking 15 to 20 years mm. now. What was a good tar? Like, well, the first tar that I got mounted was 12 and a half inches. Yeah. And that was a straight 12, out 12, trophy.
2: 12 was the gold standard, right? Yep,
1: that was that was where it
2: sat. But I don't know how, how people now are talking about 14 and this and the next thing. Well, like, reality is there might be a 14 inch bull tar in every catchment annually, possibly. Yeah. But uh, and and the good old days of tar hunting is now, <laughs> you know, and you're going to get, we can talk a bit more about that too, uh, we're going to get, as we get less tar, we will probably get better tar? But um, the thing is, it gets back to what is the trophy? Yeah, 100%. And, yeah, and, I'm not and, upset with my tar. Um, I've got a wall here. I've bought a wall. And I've, it's it's got a nothing hanging on it yet, but <laughs> it's, a good it's, wall, got, it's, it's, it's a nice wall. It's got a place for a three hundred Douglas score, red stag, mm-hmm. and it's got a place for a ten inch chamois and a fourteen inch bull tar. Now I got after many 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 years, I have got the ten inch buck chamois, and it's in the freezer museum because <laughs> you got to pay the bills and do the client work first. The bull, I've been close, but not quite, you know. But it's the goal. It's my motivation, I yeah. guess, to keep me going. And um, and the stag, well, he'll come, you know. But he's got to be the, the real the deal. The right one, yeah, yeah, You know, so yeah. that's – you can get a 300 stag any day of the week. Well, you can get whatever you want. Exactly, as, you can, as long as you check that all out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: And I guess going back to – because then even when I look at – I've just dropped off my fellow for you. Mm-hmm. Um, when I started hunting fellow deer, 200 was the – yeah, yeah, well, yeah, that's where we should be looking. And then then I saw it creep to 220. Yeah. Then I saw it creep to 240, yeah. Yeah, which is a really yeah. good felt, yeah? So
2: we adjust that up and we adjust tar up and we differentiate between red stags, the real deal, and the game. Where we, where we have an issue is something like chamois, where some herds will never produce 10-inch chamois, and then we have other herds that used to constantly produce 10 inch bucks and then they're just not there anymore and that's even more concerning i guess the animals aren't there the numbers aren't there do we adjust that down to nine inch <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know well, and i think,
1: um, think there needs to be an understanding and adjustment for regional or for herd value yeah and like the, the way i describe it quickly to 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 joe public yeah. is when you look at the white tail across america and then up into canada yes Guys will proudly put a two hundred inch Saskatchewan white tail right beside a lower state American 120, 130. Yep. proudly yeah like because they know regionally mm-hmm. that that is a great white tail and yeah. then so and th- so that's like comparing a Tarua red with an Otago red yes they will look dramatically different yes you yep. know and they should look d- dramatically yeah. different you know yeah. like so, and I, I just don't. I don't think as Kiwis we've got a hit completely around that yet,
2: and we don't place value on age either. I mean, no. I've mounted bull tar that are twelve years old and not even twelve inches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? like Broomed down, they're still yeah. thumb thick at the end. You yeah, yeah. Um, and for me, that's a, that's a pretty cool animal. Um, and the same, you can get the same with um, shomara, of course, which are so those horn species are easy to age and and um, really identifiable for sort of. The regional differences and stuff like that, but we don't place any value on age in any of our scoring systems or any of. Our yep. I think there's a I think there's a passive
1: social change to appreciate an mm. age, like yes. you know, and I think, uh, you know, a little bit, you know, likes so of the TV shows and so forth that are out there now, they they advocate a little bit more age.
2: Yeah, um, it's a hard <clears throat> thing to educate because there's so much to look at in regard to that. I mean, and you know, look at your follow back, for example. As they get older, they get uglier. As they get uglier, in my mind, they get more, more yeah, beautiful, yeah, yeah. but yeah, they yeah. don't score as well. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah um, exactly. So you might have a herd that you, you're keeping an eye on, and you might have, you know, you might have you've seen that buck a couple of times throughout your hunting mm-hmm. career. You may not, you may may recognize it, or you may not recognize it. Once that animal's done its breeding, um, you know, that is probably the time to take it out of the herd. Mm. What we're finding is. Also, with the animals coming through behind that, you know they're going to be better bred because they're bred through through that animal as well. And um, so you're not actually taking anything away from the resource. No, you're not diminishing. It's when you see a say a 14 inch tar that's only four and a half years old. You go, wow, what could <coughs> have that been? What yeah? What should it have been? <laughs> and that, that's where from my history with the stone sheep, like
1: you you wouldn't dare walk back to camp with something under seven uh, under seven. You know, mm. like like the 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 rule of thumb is eight, but, mm. you know, you wouldn't dare walk back if there was yeah. something seven, even regardless of its length, because yeah. you know your outfit is going to look at you funny like, yeah, that one could have been or should have been, yeah. or that was that was one we needed photos of in two years' time type, yeah. you know. Was, and it's hard.
2: Yeah, I was talking to the, the Duchess of Bedford, who is a very um, knowledgeable lady in regard to deer, and, and she can't understand how in New Zealand every year that everybody goes out and tries to shoot the best possible stag. She said, surely you should be trying to shoot the ones that are the least quality in order to produce the best quality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And like, a, yeah.
1: we've had this conversation like, a, that's a, one of the biggest learnings I've got out of now placing guys in Scotland is, is where, where the target species, or not mm. species, but target animal sits. Mm. You know, like we we would mm. not target them. Yeah, we, you know, I can confidently say as Kiwis, we would not target those animals.
2: And we know within the original red deer herds in New Zealand there's some like in north north of Kaikou where you basically can shoot every stag and won't worry about it because they're all crap right (laughs) (laughs) and you know there'll be certain places in Ruhunis or whatever North Island some deer are not not better than others but it's what within the herd and we can do that in Otago I guess we can identify which herds are are good and then because we have time to glass and look at animals we can go well that's a beautiful stag but it's a bit young or Mm -hmm. that's a that's a 10 it's only going to ever be a 10 it's an old 10 or whatever you know and you can do that um you know obviously if you're in, in the thick bush thick bush, they're stuff. coming at you <laughs> at 100 knots an hour yeah yeah so it's horses for courses and i guess what it is nice to see is people are having that conversation with within their peer groups and stuff and they under uh, it, there is a like you say there's becoming a
1: Passive shift sort of Yes. Yes yeah. No that's good And
2: then Waro comes in and changes everything <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah that, that, that's still the yeah. I guess there's still an underwriter From us yeah. Kiwis mm. we're a bit like Like like, despite the fact there is that shift There's still that What if I don't shoot it
2: Yes Yeah.
1: Wh- whether it be another hunter or Waro mm. or poison Or anyone's mm. yeah, sort of mm. got their own
2: Angst I guess And that's a public land issue And that's uh, Yeah that's But what it also gets back to an, uh, goes to another issue too is people who exclusively hunt on private land, of which there's quite a bit in, in sort of the central area, um, they have the other attitude. Oh, I'm all right because I'm not affected by. But it does affect you because it affects hunting in yeah, general as a whole. But, yeah,
1: yeah, As yeah, no, we, we as as a demographic
2: need mm. to be one. Yes, we can't yeah.
1: be. And that's probably the one. Private the, versus public versus bow hunters versus long range. Versus, if you were asking what the
2: biggest issue in, in, in facing New Zealand hunting fraternity at the moment is that, and I think the tar situation had, was has been a missed opportunity because it really galvanised everybody, and everybody was on the same page. We, we can't allow this to happen. We can't, you know, we need to be consulted. We need mm-hmm. to be informed in this conversation. We need to come together, and people from all quarters were. United, but I think it was a missed opportunity to carry that emphasis yeah. forward. We should have
1: we should have put the foot on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree too. And, and again, like I, I may or may not have said this publicly, but it's not a a failure in those that were involved because mm. I know like it's voluntary; they yeah. were doing, you know. But it is it, still a missed opportunity, mm. you know. Yeah.
2: Um, and we need to be proactive rather than reactionary, and 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 united rather than fractioned, and. And and um and it's about yeah you know, even a local NZDA here, it's about getting membership. So when you go to government, you can say we're a membership of 250. This is how many of, we have, and, yep. and so forth. And and well, I, think uh, like no, I think there's something
1: like two hundred fifty. Is it two hundred fifty? No, I think there's one hundred sixty thousand license, firearms license holders mm. in New Zealand, and then like the NZDA is membership of eight or nine thousand or something. Yeah. you know, like when you start. Yeah, it's like jeepers, where, yeah. where are they all sitting? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, what
2: the biggest one? I think one of the biggest, well, not chapters, but one of the biggest clubs, and um, is in Auckland, and they don't have a range, and they have nowhere to hunt. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think I, I, I don't know the exact percentages, but I know
1: through a little bit I do with Mount Safety Council on that. Like percentage wise, the numbers of firearms owners above Hamilton is mm. is a mass proportion of yeah. total. You know. <clears throat> and yeah, that's. But you touched on, and it'll be a, a subject some people don't like to hear. But the the if a diminishing number of tar hmm. is the outcome of of seed cows or whatever's yes. happening, one of the potential benefits is, could be quality,
2: without a doubt. Yep. I mean half the breeding's in the feeding. Is any stocking station actually. Yeah, yeah. say <laughs> And there are areas where there just is too many tar, and it's, and not all balls in their summer range can get the best pick and therefore you have a variation. Not only you have tar out there that are inbred, so you have with um genetic defects with things like undershot jaws and things like that, they can be culled out. Um you have areas where there's just too many bulls summering and, and in order you get the best pick. You have culling that's going on at the wrong time of year, so it's diminishing the the most essential uh thing to a sc- a measurement of a horn is basically the lamb tip, mm-hmm. so it's how that's how well that animal does on its mother. So if it's orphaned early, or it has a poor mother, or for whatever reason, then it's not going to have that that first first eighteen months of growth. But unfortunately, we have no organised <laughs> rhyme or reason to this, and so the resources aren't being directed in the right place. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I can tell you, as a matter of fact, that. In the days when there were less tar, the best tar came from fringe country, which is basically so it's new territory, so it better feed. The best tar came from um, areas where the culling on private land was done, and 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 during um, seasons that are sympathetic to basically allowing kids to to be mothered well, mother, yeah. and so. You know, it it's not the science is not new. It's just it's it's just not being applied. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's again a a tie back to Scotland. Like we're we're shooting hinds and yearlings deliberately at that time, based on if if the yearling looks poor, obviously Mm. the the yearlings will get shot. If the hind looks poor, then the hind gets removed and the yearling. Yeah. You know, like it's. Now they've got said number that's got to come off. Yes, that's the best for that herd at that current time. Yeah, because if we yeah. leave a, a a poor hind on there, that yearling's likely going to be poor pretty yeah. quickly anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So take them two out, take that if you're going to take two off the hill, mm. they're the two, yeah, you know, type of thing. And that's that's the same sort of science. Mm. Well, fact, I guess.
2: I would, if you want to get really controversial, I would say the best people that are in the position to actually implement this management are the aerial assisted trophy hunting guys. They fly over too many what mm-hmm. they would consider substandard bulls, so bulls that are undershot or many means, you know, the smaller yeah. animals. They're, it's a five-, six-year-old bull that's never going to be 14 inches. Now, the to the 14- the or 12-inch is reflective of either the guides, the helicopters, or someone's ego, mm-hmm. and that makes no difference to the experience that the, the international hunter has or what that mount looks like on the wall when he gets it home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they have an opportunity to actually being effective to use that animal manage, yeah. management tool in that regard problem is they're taking all the best ones so yeah and regardless of age regardless of age of yes like, so <laughs> uh if you know it could i think it's it, a combination though. Yes, i don't i don't yes, and yes.
1: i i know you're not saying they should but as part of it they, they could
2: they could and they're probably in the ones in the best position yeah. to be able to without well, actually affecting one their bottom line to um you know the experience mm. that the, cl- the yeah well, and
1: i sort of i also thought that a little bit more of the incorporated management should sit with them too, yes, you know, like a like a a model or a copy of a model seen in north America is why why wouldn't they or why shouldn't they be responsible for set amount of nannies who well, they set do have in, they do have an end they do yeah yeah, yeah yeah, but I don't think it's
2: high enough, no, um but also they also you know they they're hunting from March through to August. And at some stage, they're collecting um, capes and skins for those March April animals, and if they could be directed into an area to shoot animals for skins, and be under the directive to shoot undershot jaws, you know, mm-hmm. broken tips, or this, that, and the next thing, Yeah. and leave anything that's of that potential, p- potential mm-hmm. elk. But I understand when they're It's time in the air, and it's helicopter. It's economic. economics. Well, economics. It all comes (laughs) in economics.
1: It's all business. Yeah, Yeah. I'm certainly not. I'm not against the guys that are in that game. Like it's, but I think as as a whole, again as a whole, and as a whole industry, perhaps. I know this Mm. is going to ruffle some feathers. I don't mean it this way, but those that generate income from it Mm. probably need to willingly, willingly, or compulsory do more. Yeah, and and I I don't. I'm not directing that at them, but I think they will partly appease those that don't make money from it, mm. go, well, okay, we do need to all do something. If these guys are comparatively
2: giving up this, yes. then
1: then I will do my bit too.
2: You know, what would make it so much easier sell is if we just did it for three years and then you'd start seeing the benefits. Because you would see, that it would it would only take three years of them doing that to actually see benefits in the herd. So next... Next time you go out and you're in that block and there's been an aerial system trophy hunting through there, and you're not seeing all those animals with broken horn tips and and passing them up as a foot hunter recreational hunter because they've been taken out, and you're seeing those nice young bulls coming through, and then you again is making that decision not to shoot those nice young bulls with the yeah. tip, and then you know, every you would it all very, comes together it comes together comes together very quickly, mm. just as it goes. Re- reverse <laughs> yeah, just yeah. as quickly and I've yeah. seen it happen in catchments. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well I know I know even regionally around Alexandria there <clears throat> there was a period between private and um public land where for whatever reason the economy must have gone pretty good. There was a few extra recreational hunters with helicopters mm. in the area. Like the demise of our animals and the yeah. quality of our animals. Because the first you know four-year-old 12-point red stag they saw got shot
2: heck yeah
1: <laughs> and and it's just like uh, you know and it, it, it literally for probably i would think you know and i'm a pig hunter, and the pig numbers mm-hmm. you know were are hitting or everything like that but i would think for probably what was two to three years of great fun mm-hmm. for a few equated to 10 years of nursing yeah to get yep. it back yep. you know which is which is tough Anyway, back to Texas Oh, yeah. some more things, <laughs> yeah, interesting yeah. things to talk oh, about. That's it, that's it, Hey, what um, what as hunters? I guess what are we doing wrong? Like, what do you see and you just go, oh boy, or oh, Jesus? Uh, well, every, every like, like, I can't make honey out of dog shit type thing. Like, what? what yeah, you, you know? yeah, silk,
2: <laughs> silk purse out of a sow's ear. I think if 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 you want to be a, a trophy hunter, which is like, it's like the difference is this: is you know, you grow up with a can of worms catching fish. But eventually you go out and you go fly fishing and you catch that trophy trout, you know. So that's your career. But there's a lot of accidental trophy hunters. a lot of animals that get shot of quality that end up at the taxidermist. And I guess the number one thing that goes wrong is usually the field care, the initial location and skinning of the animal. There's things that... So, um, you know, it's just um, every country that has you have a hunting license you go through a hunting school Mm -hmm. and part of that hunting school thing is also in regard to you know the care of the trophy afterwards Um, and that depends on the tradition as well so people get heads getting wrong or what I'm talking about is removing of the cape and they cut them too short and typical things like that a lot of common errors like cutting the throat and all those sorts of things none of that is unfixable unfixable But it is a, you know, it's a little bit disappointing. I guess I'm. It's my stock and trade is the skin, right? <laughs> mm, yeah. So I I place a lot of emphasis on the care of, around that. Um, a lot of inter- people who are coming here are hunting independently from overseas or even the North Island or whatever. Um, they're planning for failure. Mm. They're not saying, oh, right, let's put a bag of salt in the helicopter when we fly down to South Westland. Let's spend a week." end or a weekday with a local taxidermist in the north island before we fly into stewart island or fieldland Mm -hmm. and just learn how to turn the eyes lips and ears and stuff because Mm -hmm. that is a trophy of a lifetime to get a replacement wapiti cape ain't that easy especially if it's going to be the real deal because people don't give them up when they get one right and and so when you're getting into that sort of realm you just you know just treat it the same way as you treat it learning how to reload or learning how to long range shoot or it's just another um, skill set skill set that you should should um spend a bit of time with
1: yeah I know with, with with yeah well, with the guys that <clears throat> come through the program obviously exactly what you've said but the other big ones I say is don't drag an animal mm. like you know don't yeah. don't drag it up over some rocks to put it where you want to get a good photo like you know what I mean like be mindful of every act from the minute you walk up to it yeah. don't let it sit in its blood and and vile or you know yeah. you know don't
2: Well, there's simple things like, you know, like when you shoot an animal, cut the tongue out because when it dies, it might lose the contents of its tongue, uh, um, stomach into its mouth and therefore, and then up, it sits underneath the tongue and then it's the tongue sticking out. One, the tongue looks shit in the photo. So to Mm -hmm. cut it out, Mm -hmm. so it's not going to be in any photo, but also then it's not going to trip that... um, that cud underneath there and then possibly cause hair slipping yep. sitting there for example so there's just quick little things like that you can do yep. it's just learning how to make the right cut you know when you when you make the incision up the back of the neck take it right between the ears so then you can readily find that joint between mm-hmm. the um the skull and the and, and the neck and you can make that cut quickly so, one, you're not going to bug a knife. You can do it quickly and you're often time pressured because it's the end of the day or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And then you're not carrying out an extra two, three kilos of meat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and
1: then, I guess, um, and and for me, it's always, you can creep me, but always cut from the flesh out. Yes. You know, you see a lot of guys go down through the hairline yeah. and yeah, you know, yep. you've got to stitch it where there's missing hair. The time, <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be cutting down.
2: Yeah. You don't want to be cutting hair. And yeah. Another thing is, like, certain things you just, if you, if you I g if for example you're in Fiordland and you shoot a massive whoppety ball and you don't know how to hit skin it, then your hunt is over. You've you've actually achieved what you've come to achieve. You can call the helicopter and get flying out. Now your mates that are with you might go Ooh. <laughs> There's not going to be another 55-inch ball mm. in that block. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, or even, like you say, a variation of yeah. just have the head flying out to a freezer. Yeah. You know, yeah. if, you, if yeah. you're
2: staying and helping your mates travel around, yes. and whatever is part of it, then yeah. I get that. But, but, yeah, make it a priority. That is, if if, if, if the priority is not being prepared to, to do the work yourself while you're in there, then make it a priority to get, you know, because that thing's invaluable you can't replace it right it really is and so you I could we could talk all day about different techniques and bits and pieces that you can learn by going to a tax service and they're happy to share your knowledge uh, with you but if the priority is you know that the hunt is over I mean most countries in the world you only get one tag and then it is generally over it's like you're not going to go back out the next day and shoot a 60 inch ball (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah the wee rundown I go through I guess
1: is I, I don't Shift it Unless it needs shifted mm. And then in which case I actually take care In the shifting Yes I take good photos One To admire But mm. then I always take Some photos that show dimension Yes So just a straight a up Front yeah. on one Like yeah. chunk, Just so there's some scale there If something was yeah. to happen Or some yeah. point And then Making sure my cuts Are um You know Not cutting any here And then take yeah those op- the, skin.
2: the location of those Opening incisions Is important because it doesn't matter how much excessive skin you have if those incisions are in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And I go through, whether it be myself or with clients, I, I, I know and I'm very sure of, of what the intention is for the finished product. Because hmm. we hmm. don't need to get into the skill sets or the differences, yes. but there's a difference. Yes. But I need to know what it is. What the final intention for mm. this is, mm. you know, and that th- those sorts of things. But if you just run through that, it doesn't take long. Because mm. uh, uh, when I, you know, train all these guys, I, I put it on my list as kind of like one of my little, I guess it's a joke, but it's probably not. Mm. It's a bit of a dad joke now that I'm getting older. But you know, bring your skinny knives. Yeah. And they all bring the big Victor knives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, skinny knives, and I'm like right. Well, now we're going to turn the eyes and ears and nose inside out. Yeah. And you know, it's a yeah. different different trade. Yeah. I guess. Yep. Yeah. Um, so just I guess exactly what you've said, just being aware and prepared and knowing what you're in for, mm. yeah. Uh, and be prepared. Be like I, I. One of the things I learned as a really young hunter, yeah, you know, from one of the guys that I did a bit of hunting with back then was, he like if we were going over to the west coast to go uh, stag hunting. Mm. He'd make sure there was nothing on the deck because what he would say was, well, how are we going to get 40 inches of antler on here if we've got stuff on the deck of the (laughs) truck? That's paying for success, you see. Yeah, he was – like it was always about, well, we're going to come home with this, Mm. so have we got some salt? Have we got the right knife? Like have we got some string to tie this head on the back of our pack? Mm. Yeah. Like they they were the little things that always happened. Yeah. And arguably he was pretty damn successful. Yeah. You know?
2: Yeah. So – yeah, then I'm superstitious. I never sharpen my knife before. I, before oh, really? Tra- always sharpen it afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I, come I back from I take trip. a hebel on now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's, I'm lazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the way forward.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, that's good. So, what about? So, if we if we cover that, what what hunters do wrong, straight up from taxonomy, I mean, What's the weirdest thing you've ever done? What's what's the weirdest thing you've ever mounted?
2: That's actually one of the most commonly asked layperson questions, and. I, I always frame it this way. Like, if I was talking to a North American text and everything, he asked me that question, and I told him, well, What's the most, and if he, normally it's like most unique or most different thing. If I said, Oh, well, I did a, you know, like a, a polar bear, and they go, Well, I've know, done said, yeah, yeah. yeah, I did three of them last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if I told him I did a, I, I did a Kiwi, he would go, Oh my God, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd love to get my hands on a Kiwi. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's it just, I mean, Weird is does, is not a word I would use because um I wouldn't describe nature anything in nature as being weird. I guess and the most smoke
1: Spoke?
2: <laughs> Shrek was an interesting thing. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So For got, those it, that don't know, Shrek was the <laughs> iconic sheep, you know, that had just been out in the mountains for a while and uh, it was a weather merino weather it? that missed yeah. I think
2: five or six musters. Yeah, and, and it he came grew- out and yeah. was
1: carried out and then he actually did a lot of good for uh, was it kids. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's what we're referring to. Shrek. Yeah. Not, not the big green. So, shirt. yeah, <laughs> I,
2: I joke that I don't do pets, people, or politicians, and <laughs> and the reason, uh Well, obviously, pets, uh, it's, it's a, a customer satisfaction thing, but also there's other reasons why you just don't go there. People, obviously, <laughs> yep. more or otherwise, or politicians. Well, they're not people, so they don't. <laughs> <laughs> they category. Yeah, yeah, category. But um, yeah, there was something that was highly politicised because of, uh, there was some debate whether he was going to go to Te Papa or, or Otago uh, Museum. He was a pet, essentially, um, so he was a well-known celebrity. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, so that was probably pushing my boundaries of weirdness. Really? Yeah, I guess, because you had an iconic sheep that was – Probably the most photographed sheep of all, New, you know, of New Zealand. He, so. he went on an iceberg, didn't he? I yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, trying to think back. It was a highly political thing, and then it was you know uh it other things around that, around that. So, yeah, hmm. a merino weather. That's yeah, yeah. weird. Yeah. Why, why yeah, would there you, you go? Why would you and then stick them in the national museum? No, like, I, I, yeah. Yeah, I
1: don't know. I don't know where what I thought I was yeah. maybe going to get out of that question, like, yeah. but yeah, I get it. But then so. So, what you sort of touched on there, like when you do this work, mm. is, is it a, like obviously it's a job, mm. but is it a, is it a, a passion? Is it a, is it a giving back to nature? Like, or is it all of the above? Or what, like,
2: I think uh, the best way to answer that question is when you look around the room and you look at the animal. I don't, what I'm what I'm trying to achieve is to evoke emotion that you wouldn't otherwise experience. The same evoke the same emotion rather that you would experience if you saw that animal in the wild. Mm-hmm. So I'm not trying to evoke a, a sense of horror or a sense of. Um, Freakiness, fear for some, freakiness like, you know, or fear, stuff, yeah. um, or anything like that. Just I want to have. When you look at that tar on the wall, you you see it as as if you saw it in its natural mm-hmm. state in the wild, mm-hmm. doing its thing. And so that's that's where my understanding of the animal and my skill set transpires into the work that I do. And that's sort of in the back of my mind. And when I'm talking to a client about how they might want to have it mounted, but also when I'm actually actually doing the work. I don't do the Disneyland or the mm-hmm. Hollywood Yeah. Uh you know, that sort yeah. of thing. I have clients who have, sort of might be looking for that sort of thing, but I try to steer them away from it. And it it, it reflects better in the in, in the end product and it reflects mm-hmm. better in in the way I feel about doing the work. Yeah.
1: And I think yeah. I think for me as a customer, it adds longevity to the mount. Yeah. Like if I had stuff looking particularly tough or yeah. aggressive or what have you, hmm. it might at the time be a well moment. Yeah. But two or three years down the track, it's not it for me. Yeah. You know, like there's longevity in it looking natural.
2: I have a, you brought in a beautiful fellow buck today, and I've got a client that's probably got 30 fellow bucks hanging on. And he's always looking for something different. So I did one from a couple of years back that was croaking. Now, a fellow deer croaking is the most ugliest looking thing you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> and that <they're> also transfer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They are, They distort their entire body, you yeah, know. Yeah. They go full out. And you're just trying to capture that instant. So while the mount was technically correct and anatomically correct and all the rest of it, and it looked good when it went out the door, I now see it on the wall with the rest of it and I just go, well, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a miss.
1: Yeah, didn't quite hit it. Yeah. yeah. But I guess if he's got 30... Yeah, you you've done something very well if you look at all thirty and go shit. They're all yeah, they're all on point. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. if you're going to try and create some variation, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> no. But that's right. So you do you, from my understanding, you you have judged taxidermy yeah I've competitions. Judged both within, um,
2: New within New Zealand and Australia. Oh, okay, so it's nice to be selected by your peers to be eligible of judging your peers. Obviously now a senior taxidermist it's also nice to be back in that role where you're mentoring people who are new to the industry or younger people mm.
1: so is there a like I've I guess through social media seen I don't know not based on age but some mm. newer or younger taxidermists coming. is there a next wave like based on if you've been in there for a while now is there, mm. an, is there a yes
2: and no I guess it's probably a generational thing but I think a lot of people leave there's no form of apprenticeship but a lot of People leave the uh, the governments of their of their apprenticeship too early because you don't mm-hmm. know what you don't know in regard to not only doing the work but also in regard to um, what it takes to run a business. And I think people- that's sort of unfortunately
1: like, where you've gone with that is generational because I, I don't think it's yeah. only this trade. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like, And I think there's a, there's a real shift between learning a skill set and then just thinking, well, I'll just make the money
2: now. Yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm well, sure I'm not the first rate. I mean, builders no. and all sorts of people yeah, deal yeah, with yeah. these things yeah. all the time. Yep. So certainly they have a far easier path. I mean, I'm, I'm privileged sure I've learn from my father, but they have a far easier path than other people did because they, they can build their businesses around having tanneries that will tan their hide. Supply businesses like mine who supply mannequins and things like that. So, to get to a, a operational level, they can get there quite quickly. But it's all those finer things and that uh, the little things. Yeah, you know. Yep. And any and this applies for any amount. And any, look, I can look around the room and I can, I I know what's wrong with everything because mm. everything is done to a fine commercial standard. But there's always yep. something given what you got to work with and and so forth. But if you look at a mount, it's actually a whole bunch of small things done well that make a whole overall thing. Yep. And now I can look at a mount and know who mounted it, but I can also look at a mount and know what's wrong with it. Mm-hmm. And what by that I mean is this, you, you will go, you
1: know that Something's out of that.
2: Yeah, but yep. I can say, well I'll tell you what it is. It's those ears are not right because mm-hmm. this one is this and that one's that or you know, you know whatever. And it so it's a smaller component that makes the overall... <laughs> yeah,
1: no, I, I, I would 100% yeah. agree with that. Like, I've I've spent time looking at mounts, I guess, yeah. through just being in the industry or loose yeah. industry, and you'll look at some for a long time, and you go, it looks really good, but there's something out. Then when you get to look at it, you'll know that he's missing a bit of eyelash. Yeah. Or there'll be some hair out of yeah. the nose or chin not quite there, and I'm like, that that's kind of it for me. Like, I just, And I look at things that, when they
2: <laughs> come in, and, and the client doesn't even notice, like, like, it'll come in and say, "Oh, your tar is missing the tips on its ears." And what do you mean? You go, "Well, it's got round ears, and it, the ears should be this shape." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or you know, or, um, or uh, you know, I was, I was skinning your animal, and did you? Uh, I had a classic one last year, uh, or three years ago, I think. Yeah. Um, a guy had a a, a wopperty ball, and he goes, "Oh, it's got amazing Roman nose." I said, "No, it's not." Um, I said, "It's broken its face." <laughs> the the head is on complete angle and stuff And when I cape that out It's going to have a broken nose And all, all it's, and it's broke, also broken its jaw And so it did look like For all intents and purposes It had that classic whoppity ball broken nose But actually its whole f- front of his beak Had been yeah, broken right. and twisted and re-healed But I'm looking through different eyes Most yep. people are looking from the ears up <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, 100% Yeah yeah. I mean like people walking to check. Um um, into a studio or, studio or a, a pub or whatever, and they're just looking at the animals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's
1: and that goes straight back to again that that age thing. Like you know, all my mounts and and my mounts that are on the wall, like like we touched mm. on with the fallow is they're they're not they're not the biggest animals I've even seen. No, like but they're all that little bit older and they've got mm. all that little bit more character. ugly character. Yeah. You know, so when people walk into my room, like, and I've got that I've got a, the deer that I got in Scotland that you mounted. Yeah. Like, it's it's borderline a cowbuck here. Yeah, like really is. Yeah. you know. But for me, I was like, yeah, it's going on the wall. Yeah, and I watched him rubbing up on the old stone walls there, and like his mm. brow sticks out of like a forty-five. You know, yeah. I was like, he's cool. Yeah.
2: So he's, that's, and you take that same ethos and you apply it to an American client, mm. and if he shoots a eleven-inch bull tar that's with an undershot jaw that's mounted so it doesn't look like it's got. As opposed to him shooting at twelve or fourteen or whatever,
1: still got a smile on his face, still got a smile on his <laughs> face,
2: you've still got money in the bank,
1: and looking like, you know, it's as long as the age is there, mm. I think you know like yeah. well or, or it's yeah it's key yeah. weaknesses identifiable i get I get what you're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. probably preaching to the converted <laughs>
1: no, oh, it's just part of it, so I guess one of the other things I wanted to talk about and i I know looking through your shirt out there, lots of euros.
2: Yeah. Um, that's a seasonal thing I guess we're just working through the ones that came through this raw yeah but yeah.
1: I see it I see Euros as a great way of us Kiwi recreational hunters respecting every stag or buck or bull that we shoot like I
2: a lot of I guys have got a lot of bone on, and thrown in the back of the behind the shed holding up roses yeah. or <laughs> hanging from
1: rafters or whatever yeah. like and I, I get it like I'm not mm. against it but but if it's Meant something to you, and it obviously I would hope that it did at the time you pulled the trigger. Yeah, yeah. like why not just spend an extra couple hours on a Sunday? Yeah, just making it look tidy.
2: Yeah, so I mean, I'd be more than willing to show people how to do that, and that's the thing is but the Kiwi thing, the Kiwi way is uh, just bury it in the garden, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) yeah, which is not what you want because you're not going to get the end result you like, but yeah, I've got a in my working space in my studio working space I've got a can what I call my Canterbury Wall and my Otago wall. It's a it's a it's a vaulted ceiling and I've got a red stag on each. One is a southwestern red stag that I call my Canterbury Wall. And then my first Otago stag is on my Otago wall and then I've got a whole bunch of chamois and a whole bunch of tar. And on the back of those I've got when and where and, and with whom I've I shot those. Mm-hmm. They're all Euros. And it makes a really cool display. Oh, yeah. Um, but it also, it's it's like, they're not sitting in a cardboard box or a banana mm-hmm. box underneath. The, yeah, well, you've got pride in them. Yeah, I've yeah. got pride in them. And I think that matters. Yeah.
1: I, I really do. And I, I would like to see that as a real trend. Yeah. And I think that the other plus to it is provided we as hunters do it right, it provokes hunting conversation. Yeah.
2: So if you. I think pig hunters are probably probably leading that because they all oh. put all the jaws out you know and uh they don't record much information regarding it, but if they walk, no, it's just status if you, if, you, if you went down <laughs> there you, you walk down the line and you go oh, yeah that's the one i got with bruiser and then yeah. like, that was from it's the back of that shit, sort of association farm yep. or, you know yeah <laughs> it's all there yeah it's all there in the memory yeah. bank. no
1: I, I agree like i think you know like if you if say in the joe blog dining table or mm. in the house and wife was not particularly yeah. into having animals on the wall or whatever but there was a nice euro tar there regardless of size yes. Just a, and the next person came in and sat down and talked oh where did you get that and, and the conversation was at a good standard not mm-hmm. just I like to kill stuff yeah. you know Yeah. then it helps share hunting to so probably an uninformed person yeah and I, I all those all these little bits eventually end up tying together mm. I'm, I'm, I've, I've got no education on that but I'm yeah. adamant that yes. that would happen yeah you know, and it's literally from as simple as like a get. There's a professional version of a euro, mm-hmm. but the recreational hunter can still sort of boil it up, water blast it, mm. and, 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 and put a little bit of peroxide or bleach or but Whatever I know. Make sure it's peroxide. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, I know that. But yeah. you, you get what I mean. Like, yeah. and just do the do the act of it, and then it's a little bit like dominoes. Yes. You get one or two of them heads, and you take a little bit of pride in them. Yeah. Then all of a sudden. You want more of them, and you know, and it's actually
2: well. If you do it, then your mate wants to do it, and, then,
1: you yeah, know, and yeah, oh, and it looks yeah, cool, yeah. you know. And then for, I don't know how it's come about, but now there's some sort of fashion in this sort of stuff.
2: Yeah, I guess <laughs> I've you never know, been
1: fashionable, but it's, for some of it, some people come and go. Oh my god, I would love that in my house, and like, well, you, you're, you're not getting one. I you every it. <laughs>
2: every five years, I get approached by some lifestyle magazine to do an article on how taxonomy is fashionable. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> I no, never I'd thought, believe it. uh, I'd, yeah. uh, but it's it, it's never. I guess it. It reached its hiatus in the nineteen seventies, I guess. I um, want to say, but it's it's as a someone who's so deeply immersed in it and supported his family for four four generations, it's never really been out of fashion. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Um, but what I'm saying is, like euros and stuff like that, and that sort of presentation, or even just skulls or shed antlers and things, it's very much on trend. You can take a house and garden lifestyle magazine, something like that. And I could take you anyone off the shelf and I could flick through it and within time the time I got to the back cover, you probably find no less than half a dozen examples of taxidermy. It might be something like a cattle hide mm-hmm, or uh, a merino um and so or I say a throw that's a a skin or an antler mm-hmm. light shade or a chandelier, even faux taxidermy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh it's there. It's you know, it's, it's, oh, it's th- yeah.
1: You know, even yeah, like like you say, like you can go to Kmart now, and there'll be wooden,
2: yeah,
1: you know, DIY yeah. stair kids or something, yeah, yeah. you know, and that's yeah, that's where it's come from. And yeah. I think it's an opportunity that we as hunters can sort of get behind. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as yeah. as long as our story's right. Well, the
2: other thing is like too is like if you've got a head and you can't have it in your home, maybe give it to someone who who can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On loan or whatever or whatever you can say like you know you got you got a sister or a cousin or somebody who's got a a house or a batch or something like that put it in their house put it in their home you know share the love yeah yeah
1: <laughs> exactly yeah be proud of it I think as as you know as a business David like you, you touched on it you know from the I guess the professional or commercial hunting what what sort of percentage would it be recreational New Zealand recreational hunters.
2: So my, the nature of my business has changed tremendously and it's through a couple of conscious and probably a couple of subconscious <laughs> thoughts. Uh, one is I want to be dealing with nice people. <laughs> so whether that's a guide or an individual, like attracts like. So generally speaking, your free, free range, fair chase type outfitters attract like type clients and they tend to be nicer people. Uh Two, I'm, it's just me, and I can choose which work I want to do. And if I'm going to do work, I want to do it for good people, and I want repeat business because it's probably mm-hmm. the best way to get more work. Well,
1: so, and and we are that demographic. Yeah. You know, once you sort mm. of dive into yeah. the mounting game, I
2: try <laughs> to get clients for life, and yep. I try to build those relationships. You know, if I the way I used to do my marketing is I'd get on a plane and I'd fly to Las Vegas and go to the safari convention because in one weekend i could touch base with 35 new zealand guides and outfitters right now i deal with maybe three or four and i see them every once a month maybe Um, they're all local i've had a long relationship with them um some of them the relationship started because i said i want to go hunting with you know back in the day you couldn't access a property where you could get good quality fellow there so i approached jill Telf and said i want a nice fellow back. got some real good quality animals there on a book aren't with you i had near had no business relationship with them then. from that formed a friendship and then eventually later on not not many years and then when i moved here i let people know what i was doing why i was doing it how much of my business is changing those guys get repeat business mm-hmm. and most of your big outfitters mm-hmm. never get repeat business. They try yeah. to do everything at once, for everything yeah. from a wallaby Whang through it. to a whoppity, Just whack them and stack them. Yeah, fill the cards. And the client's gone. And for me, it's, it doesn't fit for my business model uh, in that cash flow-wise, it's terrible. You know, there's a month's work, and it's before I get a paycheck. Yeah. Whereas um, guys like yourself, you know, you, you, you drop off an animal, you pay the deposit. Next time, hopefully, I see you. Uh, it's not when you're dropping off the next animal. <laughs> <laughs> it's when you're picking your yeah, yeah, last yeah. one up. And then we'll say, hey. Well, it depends, because for me, it yeah. probably sits better the other way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, it's different. But, you know, like, I'll have, even I'll have Australian guys who are got, like, just done a tar hunt with Chris McCarthy. Next year, I'm hoping to come back to hunt red stags in the raw. Can you have the tar ready for you then? Yep, no problem. You pick that up, drop this, drop the stag off. But it was just, same thing with local guys, you know. I've got guys who are, yeah, you know, they've got those standards, you know. They they want that 10-inch chamois and all the rest of it, and they've got the they've got the fellow buck and they've got the tar, but they're after that chamois. And I say, you know, well, hopefully next time we see you back here it's with that buck, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. which is cool. It is cool um, because to to put so much into this product, this into this mount, put it in a box and, and send it across the water and never get any no feedback. It's kind of like, what do you do it for? A bit flat. Yeah. So That's it, cool. Yeah. So it might be partly ego driven, but I guess it keeps me going. Yeah. Oh,
1: no, like, I mean, ego covers a, f- yeah. a, a few different forms, but I, I I, would think it shows at least a, a high amount of pride in yeah. the work, and that yeah. matters,
2: I think, from a customer. Well, yeah, I think integrity in, in, in business and is really important.
1: Yeah. yeah, no, I agree. So I think we've kind of chewed the fat out of, well, texted me version one anyway. <laughs> how do guys, how do listeners, how do they find you or how do they talk to you, whether it be – with work, or you know, are you open yep. to talk about if they want to ask you questions about what they should be doing or not doing? Like, is the that- best
2: thing is to actually ring me and say, hey, Are you around? Can I come today or tomorrow, or whatever? Because I like to hunt and I might yep. not be here. <laughs> Just it's turn fair. up. Like, yeah. it's the way, the
1: way I look at it is like getting using a taxidermist that doesn't hunt as much as they can because yeah. they get yeah. you a business yeah. owner is like the skinny chef type thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's a miss yeah. there. Don't trust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah.
2: So, um, you know, business is business and, and anything that's business-wise should be communicated and uh, mm-hmm. that's important to the business is, should be communicated by, by email so you've got an email for record. Yeah. But as far as coming and seeing the work, nothing better to come in and have a look at the studio because you'll see the quality of the work for yourself. You can actually feel it, touch it, look at it and uh, ask key questions. Any concerns you have, you can really address those at that time. I said to a young guy the other day, he'd shot a very nice stag and he was looking at other animals on the wall and I said, let's look mate it's kind of like going down to the strippers in, in <laughs> Queenstown you don't go down there to compare it to your girlfriend <laughs> I said what you've got here is a beautiful deer you should be really proud of it you know you've done it the, the real deal way and um, put it in being, have you ever seen one on the hoof as big as this before he said, no no he said well
1: there you that's go weird. that's where you it know. sits yeah, yeah.
2: Um, so because he was looking at something else on the wall <laughs> yeah. and then that's um, you've got to
1: understand
2: the background of those yeah, animals yeah yeah, yeah. So you know, uh, come in, make yourself known. So where whereabouts well, are you? Yeah, I'm at Arrow Junction, which is at the bottom of the Crown Range. So it's ten minutes from Queenstown Airport if you're coming that way. It's three minutes to Arrowtown, just on the Arrow Junction where the Arrow River crosses the, um, the State Highway six crosses the river there. And come you've and got a it. Facebook. I have got a Facebook presence. I tried it. Limited ma- one. <laughs> well, yeah, it's yeah. Opening yourself up to social media is you get. I'd it creates work and you've got to have it. a thick skin yeah, yeah exactly and again anything relation to business or anything in relation to prices or technical advice you're best to call or drop in Priceless. you're best to just email me and I'll send you through information so
1: what would be what's your email
2: david at Nz. we're getting to the commercial part, are we? part. Um, I'll just close it off because <laughs> yes.
1: not only will we say yeah. it but I'll put it in the show yeah. notes so when yeah. people get it through their site they can click on it anyway, cool. and it'll cool. just be a straight yep. link to it yeah
2: um, but just, just so they understand. Yeah, so I have a website, nz. You can find us on Facebook at The Taxidermist Limited. Please like my page. Uh, anything, Any price list, you best to email or come and pick one up. If you're looking to come out and visit the studio, just let me know when you're coming. Um, I basically have summer hours and winter hours. Uh, during the hunting season, I'm available by weekends, by appointment only um and then in winter we uh usually start at nine and finish later sort of from queen's birthday onwards and summer we start earlier and finish, finish earlier <laughs> yeah you gotta have your play time too don't yeah. You? yeah so yeah love to see you come down and have a look uh, if you've got any questions about anything you know i run a totally open shop um so you can have a look around you can look around the back scenes that's
1: good oh well, thank thank you for your time david it was a good chat and there's a couple of bigger topics there that maybe one other day we'll have another yeah. conversation about, but I think it was good. It was good to get get a chat about, I guess, taxonomy but more about the pride of animals and the, and the respect shown to animals and stuff. I think it was good.
2: Thank you, Karen. No,
1: no worries. Cool. Thank you.
0: G'day. Thanks for listening to the Educated Hunter podcast. There are a number of ways you can connect with myself, Matthew Gibson, or my partner in crime, Curran Ireland, at The Educated Hunter. And the hub all of this is our website, theeducatedhunter.com. Our Instagram page is at theeducatedhunter. Our website also has a spot where you can sign up for our newsletter that comes once every two weeks and is full of relevant information about hunting in New Zealand and around the world. And lastly, you can search out any of the episodes that we've done in the past and find the show notes on that episode. Other than that, thanks very much for listening and I hope you're having a good day wherever you are and your next hunting adventure is not too far away.